0: to another episode of the Doster and Deshaun podcast. But wait, we got some news today. What's that? We have a new addition to the podcast. Hmm. Standing five foot seven, a native of Cleveland, Ohio, now living in Hoboken, a graduate of Seton Hall University, who member of the Big East digital team and your favorite Fox Sports broadcaster, the one and only... John Fanta, ladies and gentlemen, Pop it up for Here we
1: him. Go, let's go! Here we go! Come on, Dowser Nation! Let's go! It's a big day, big day, big day! Come on!
2: Here we there, there we go!
0: There we go! What is going on, man? It is great to see you back from uh, back back from your trip down to Florida, back from your trips covering tennis, uh, and welcome to the pod, man. We're we're excited to have you on. We uh we decided in the last couple of weeks that since we had so much fun, the three of us doing post game shows after the NCAA tournament, that we just had to turn this into a three-man show.
1: Hell, yeah. I, I mean, I had a blast with you guys during the <laughs> tournament. We were on post games. I was talking to you from a Motel 6 one time. It was just a blast to work with you guys. And you know what? Um, it made sense. It made sense. When you have a chance to do a post-game show after a game as good as Gonzaga and UCLA – and we talked for what, nearly two hours. It was a no brainer. And uh, to to get to, I mean, I'll I'll sit in the corner and take my jumpers, but to get to to toss it back out to Deshaun Butler. I mean, that says it all. He'll drive us and he'll, and he'll drive our press too. I'll sit in the <laughs> back of our press. I'm going to sit in the back of our press day.
2: I'm not worried about it. I think you could be at the top of the damn press personally. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, you're at the top of the diamond and one right now, bro. You're you were you are amazing. I told Rob this prior. I was just like, I just love Fan's energy. He makes it so easy to just flow and have these conversations about the game of basketball. Like it was a like you said, it was a no brainer. All
0: right, so let's let's catch everybody up on what we've been doing for the last uh, last month or so. Um, for me, I've just kind of been uh, been relaxing, trying to catch up on all of the stuff that I didn't do at the end of the season to run a business. Um, I have been uh, watching a lot of Breaking Bad. I have been enjoying the fact that, um, you know, I don't have to up until three o'clock in the morning uh, <laughs> reacting and writing and, and watching basketball stuff. So uh, starting to dive fully into NBA draft content and yeah, starting to get this thing back on again. Dave, what's been up, man? How you doing?
2: I've been good, man. Just uh, finished up our, our season uh, at Wheeling University and I've been enrolled in the NBA uh, assistant coaches program. So I've been doing that. Um, just working on myself basically as a coach and grad school, finishing grad school. So, I mean, I've been pretty busy, but uh, it's starting to come uh, to a, a good end more or less with the grad school and the uh, program
0: I'm in. So, I've been real quick, a good just kind of take people through what that program is because we were texting about it the other day and it's actually interesting.
2: Um, this program I'm in right now is basically uh just taking you through the steps of being a professional coach, so learning how to use all of the programs that you will. Um, like your fast scout, your fast draw, anything that's fast model and uh, sports code, synergy, all these things. You learn how to use these things uh, and create scouting reports and just uh, how to make detailed scouts and how to, you know, uh, observe players and what to look for and what to look at uh, while you're scouting teams and players. Um, and how to prepare yourself for the interview process, a ton of things. So just the uh, every, the, the, the entirety of uh, being a professional coach.
0: Phantom. You've been all over the place, man. Regular world travel over there. Uh, yep. How you doing? got a swimming? I saw
2: you got a swim meet. It was. Beautiful. <laughs> I was like, yo, this is amazing, bro.
1: Right now, I'm in the spring frenzy. So basically, guys, some of the perhaps less followed college sports nationally. You know, all that was played in terms of championships in the fall was football in college sports. Mm-hmm. They played a full football season, and then they had the college football playoff, and uh, and that was it. Even FCS football is in their playoffs right now. Uh, if you've been clicking around your TV, you've seen some of the playoff games on. So in college sports, everything in terms of championships, for the most part, got pushed to the spring, yeah. which means you've got a frenzy. I mean, last night, I wasn't sure which sport I was watching. It was covering lacrosse <laughs> and soccer. And it's like you're trying to keep track of, of both. And it's it's got me uh, – my tabs were just – insane i'm not a good tab guy uh, on, the, <laughs> on the laptop like i'll end up having like 70 tabs open by the end of the yeah. night that being said covering spring sports right now um lacrosse and soccer and for those who know me from my big east platforms uh the big east has two teams in the elite eight in men's soccer and for a conference that does not have football they prioritize the sport of soccer and baseball and mm-hmm. so this is good for for that league so um I'll be down in North Carolina here now on Monday covering the Elite Eight, but then shooting back for some softball actually in Connecticut. So it's that time of year. uh, We jump into some college baseball. I I love baseball myself. Rob, I see you got the Yankees hat on. So uh, I'm excited for a baseball summer. I'm excited for a real summer. I mean, I'm in Jersey, and there was some hot debate earlier this week about best Jersey Shore bars. Like, that's the debate I needed back in my life. That says we're getting back to normal. I can't wait for all those summer businesses that were either closed or extremely limited sure. last summer to be open back up and uh, ready for college basketball talk, college sports, and a huge, huge summer in which we're really coming back to normal. And by the time our 2021-22 college hoop season rolls around, we're gonna see we're gonna see fans really returning to Cameron Indoor and Allen Fieldhouse. And like that, and Rob, like that, that is just going to be so cool. And I, I'm, I'm getting revved up right now. I, I'm very excited for what's to come. Cause it feels like as we start this podcast together, that we're really starting up the trend towards what our normal was. And I love that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the point about arguing about the, the best Jersey shore beach bars. Um, I, I was in an argument on Twitter the other day uh, <laughs> about where the best pizza is. In the United States, whether it's in New Jersey or New York or Connecticut, and uh, I don't think I've had that argument a lot I I, I, look my brand is pizza right like I I, that's what I know college basketball on pizza (laughs) 2 things that I know New Haven is the pizza capital of the world, I will argue that to the death right, and I feel like I haven't had that argument since like 2019. Since the pandemic started, I haven't gotten a fight about that with somebody. And it was nice to be able to just instead of arguing about whether or not you should have a mask on and all this other stuff, like we were arguing about pizza and it felt great just to be able to do that kind of normal <laughs> stuff. So um, we're getting there. We're fighting a good fight. Everybody go get vaccinated. Let's, You know, we, we got a chance to kind of beat this thing back. So uh, hopefully we'll get it done. Hopefully there will be fans in the stands. Hopefully we'll all be going out to games. So that's what I'm uh, I'm looking forward to as well. What very well said, uh, Fanta. We have a lot to talk about today. I do want to get into um, some of the decisions that have been made and some of the teams that we're really impressed with. Um, you know, heading into next season, uh, I got a rant, a Fanta esque rant on, uh, on Mark Everett and the decision to to renew his contract. Uh, but before we do that, I did want to talk about the kind of the big topic of the week, which was NIL rules, name, image, likeness and some of the impact that that could have on uh, on college basketball and the turnover in the off season for people that didn't know, I I believe Florida has now written into law that athletes are able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. Uh, And Georgia has a law, which is actually kind of shitty on their books as well. Now that was signed in um, this week. Uh, But, but most importantly, I think the big thing is, is, you know, we, we look at this NBA draft cycle and I feel like we go through this every year, right? Um, Right now there are 49 players, underclassmen that have declared for the draft uh, that are intending to leave school, um, according to to something that Jeff Goodman put out the other day. And in total, there have been 110 underclassmen that have declared for the draft and are just kind of going through the process. And uh, like we've seen this grow year over year over year. Um, Last season was a little bit weird because of the pandemic and the uncertainty. But the year before that, there were 87 players that were underclassmen that had declared for the draft and left early. And I'm just kind of, you know, where are you at with this day, Sean? It feels like there is, uh, a constant talent drain in, in, in the college basketball space. And it's something that I do think there are ways to kind of make it be avoidable and entice people to come back to school.
2: Well, there definitely are ways to avoid, uh, like you just said, to make it avoidable and entice people to come back to school. But I feel like these things uh, started happening as soon as they changed the rule for players to, you know, uh, extend their time uh, and go and test the waters and go do workouts and then still be eligible to come back. When they pushed that time, it just gave a lot more players the opportunity to, you know, take a risk and more or less like learn something about themselves from the NBA's eyes and then take that back with them to uh, college. So, I mean, I, I would say uh, to me, it's not as bad because, you know, all these players want to they want the opportunity to go to the NBA. So if you have a chance to go test those waters as a freshman, sophomore, junior, whatever, whatever you are and still have the chance to come back to college, learn what you need to fix. So they'll like you in the future and as well, make your team, your college team better. When you come back, I don't really see the problem.
0: Did you, um, did you ever test when you were in college? Did you, did you have a chance to do that?
2: Nah, I never really did. I, I wish I did. I feel like uh it would have probably helped me out a little bit, but once again, that's why, why I'm, you know, kind of somewhat of an advocate for it because, I think if I had tested, I would have learned a little bit more about myself, could have fixed some things. Obviously, I had a, a good finish and everything as far as the college basketball, but just more or less, uh, I could have uh, made myself a little bit uh, more, uh, I don't want to say presentable, but just made myself more of a uh, – <laughs> just more uh, approachable by those teams, like just fix my game up a little bit and, and make them like me. Fig- learn more about the game because what I, I didn't know much about the game, period. I didn't know much about anything except just how to put the ball in the basket. So like that opportunity to go there, learn those drills, learn how to make myself better and then get the opportunity to come back or find out if I was good enough to go would be, would have been crucial.
0: Right. Um, my big thing, is not that, that these guys have the opportunity to declare it's that um, like, I, I want them to have as much time as possible to be able to, to get those evaluations directly from the mouth of, um, sure. of, teams, of NBA evaluators, right? Like, yeah. and, and I mean, both of you guys can attest to this, uh, college basketball coaches are incentivized to try to convince their players to return to school. Yeah, for sure. Like no matter what they say, the best thing for these, these coaches is to have their best players come back for another season. That's the way they get extensions. That's the way they get raises. That's the way they get new jobs. That's the way that they help their career is to have their best players on campus playing for them. Right. So there's always going to be that incentive to try to get them to come back no matter what they tell you or, or how, um, vociferous they are about, you know, kind of promoting whether or not they want these guys to go. Uh, my big thing is that there's so much more money in the professional ranks now than there was even like five or six years ago. Yeah, exactly. uh, the money you can make in the G League has gone up. There is the G League Ignite program that's created another avenue to get to the NBA draft. There are other leagues like the Overtime League that has been created and the uh, I can't remember the name of like the the one. Um, I can't I remember the name. Professional Collegiate that, yeah. League. Like, there's a couple different leagues that have been created uh, for high school and college players um, that are going to be able to allow them to capitalize on NIL stuff. There's more money overseas now than there was before, and there's easier avenues to get to some of these, these clubs. You know, it's, it's in a more connected world. You're not as isolated when you're able to talk to people on Zoom and FaceTime all the time, you know. So um, with the amount of money in college or in, in, in professional sports, I think we're seeing more players leave. Because they know, hey, if I can get like seventy five grand to go play in uh, like Germany for a year and and do that instead of coming back to school where I've kind of done everything I want to do, uh, that that's 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 more appealing to players. My my take has always been, if you can open up the NIL stuff, right, and create an incentive to say, I, I don't know how many people are going to make seventy five k in college yeah. basketball, yeah, not many. You could do something where you say, okay, well, you come back for your junior year, you can finish your degree right? We can get you like $30,000 in, in some kind of marketing revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you create that incentive to say, and you can come back, you hang out with all your friends, you're on campus, you're a guy, you're going to be playing in front of packed houses. Like the experience of playing college basketball is great. If you can create some kind of monetary incentive to get guys to come back, like that's, to me, it's no brainer. And I don't understand why it's something that is taking so long to get through and get in the court. It's not like they're going to,
1: well, it, it's taking long because the NCAA would prefer to have some guardrails included in the legislation. Ooh, That's why sure. it's taking long. Which they so, should. Well, well, exactly, they, they should. And, and here's the thing that I always think about with the NCAA. Now, now let's, let's take a step back here. And I have a couple other thoughts on the, on the pro route for, for a moment after this. Is that if you, if you are a multi-billion dollar association, Why on earth would you change anything that you are doing? Exactly. So when people get mad at the NCAA, I understand why you're getting mad. We're all, we've all gotten worked up at some point in time on something that the National Collegiate Athletics Association is doing. By the same token, that association operates fully knowing how they're going to benefit as they should. And that is the exact reason, and I believe we're going to get into this later in the show, but the NCAA president is still in his seat because he listens to a board of governors. This is my always my thought. When a conference commissioner gets ripped on, for instance, Larry Scott of the Pac-12, Like that conference commissioner gets absolutely ripped to shreds. That is exactly what the league in which he serves would prefer because there are people even more powerful than Larry Scott that sit in high rises at universities every day that don't have to face any one media member that ended up saying, we're stamping this decision. Larry, you go ahead and you figure out how you're going to do it. Like there are people behind the scenes in college athletics that we that that aren't in the forefront of the national landscape that end up making some of those decisions that really anger you, but there's people that are in the front-facing positions that are the ones that have to take the heat, and it's not always directly their fault. I'm not defending those people, those leaders, because they are leaders, but they're answering to greater powers than even them. In terms of the pro routes, one area, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Sean, you play. Yeah, actually, but
0: before you go into the pro stuff, one one point I do want to make about, you're right about Emmer, right? Like he's paid, his salary is $2.7 million. He's paid to be the whipping boy. He's paid to be the guy that goes out there and gets bludgeoned by the media. The problem in this instance is that the people above Emmer are happy with what he's doing because oh, yeah. of the fact yeah. that he's like protecting these, these certain exactly. deals yeah. that Correct. allow the, the universities to make more money. Right. But underneath like the, the people below him, like athletic directors, conference commissioners, people that are actually in the weeds of college athletics and not sitting in some boardroom with some title at a university collecting a check. Those are the people that don't like what's going on with Mark Ember. Like you can go back, Nicole back at the athletic has done some really good reporting on this. Dana O'Neill as well. Um, and the, the people that are actually in the day to day of college sports are not happy with the way that, that this stuff is going with Emmer. And a lot of it is the fact that he can he's continually passing the buck on the NIL stuff. Like, and I, I hear you about how long it takes, but we've been having this conversation for like a decade, man. Like there's been think about how long Dan Wetzel has been writing shit about this, right? Like he wrote the book on uh on on the shoe, I can't remember what the name of it was, but on shoe company stuff like yeah. 20 years ago. Like none of this is new, right? Yeah, That's
1: exactly my point. Like Exactly.
0: That's that's what he
2: was saying. More or less, like they have an incentive not to change anything. So they're going to try to. And and that's that's why. why, Yeah,
0: yeah, no, no, I get you. But there's there's people at the lower levels that, that that are not happy about this. And I think it's part of the reason why we're seeing some of these issues pop up now with like the talent during the college basketball. To me, the biggest problem that college basketball faces is that. They're the, the recognizable names and the recognizable faces are so limited, right? Think about how many people right now can go out and tell you who are going to be the five best players in college basketball next year, right? <laughs> Most people are probably going to say something about Chet Homer Holmgren, yeah. just because yeah. like everyone you know is. knows who Chet Holmgren is. But if you went to go ask a random person on the street who the best player in college basketball coming back from last season is, how many people are going to be able to give you that answer? And not very many. And I yeah. think that is the biggest thing that we're dealing with. Even people that are fans of teams are seeing so much turnover. And look, I, I'm not – the transfer stuff I support. And I think th- we can't dive too deep into to what is happening this year with the numbers because of the fact that they're going to be inflated because there are four different classes that are able to gra- uh, transfer since seniors can put their name in the transfer portal. Um, yeah. I think a high percentage of these guys are getting run off by coaches. That That doesn't get talked about. Like a lot of these transfers <laughs> don't get asked to come back. And um, we just went through a pandemic, like part of the incentive to not leave your program and not transfer is like the bond and the brotherhood and the fact that you like you're playing basketball with your best friends. Right. And you don't, you didn't get that experience this year. So there's a a lot of people like, yo, I got to get the fuck out of this place. Right. So to me, the biggest issue is the level of turnover and the fact that there aren't very many programs. There are just teams that are being built and nobody knows who the best players are going to be. You don't get that connection with the players. And for me, one of the biggest ways to save that is to create that incentive for players to come back to school with NIL stuff. Because it's all, look, life is money. Life is the income that you can make. And this is the way it. that you can create incentive. I'm sorry, Deshaun, I keep cutting you off. Go ahead, man. No, I agree with uh, with what you're
1: saying
2: and what Fanta said. <laughs> Obviously, that's what I'm doing right now. But um, I feel like we can get to those incentives with players if we do have guardrails to protect everybody involved. I mean, I don't see the NCAA rushing to make these things happen because, I mean, obviously they're trying to protect their interests And the players want – and everybody surrounding these players want these players to get paid as well. I feel like you can do these things with creating guardrails to protect yourself. Like, for example, we talked about the transfers. With everybody being able to transfer anywhere they want to, it really doesn't – like, imagine you as a, a university, you get a kid that comes from – uh, Notre Dame or something like that and you don't know if he's there because you know he wants to be a part of uh, Bray's deal or he doesn't he wants to just do his own thing so you don't know what reasons these players are here for. like would that make you feel comfortable to just pay him thirty thousand dollars? like just give it to him because he's a player. It's like if you have guardrails that protect you like if they had transfers happen, those guys that transferred in, if they had to wait to play, Maybe they wait that year and not get paid to see if they're there for the right reasons. And then when they take that year to finally get all their things in order and then they they actually play for the team, then you could play. Things like that, like small, small things to protect the universities, obviously the NCAA and the players involved. Because at the end of the day, you would have what you have right now. Do I think this will stop next year? No, I really think that if they continue to just like let people just transfer like this, this is not going to stop anything. People like – I feel like people will just move because they can.
1: Yeah. And if you, pay, are, and you give them
2: a sense
0: you know what not able to, to stop. Here's, here's my idea on that. I, w- I want your guys' thoughts on this. So I think the way uh, to, to kind of incentivize staying at the school that you're at is, again, to, to create a monetary incentive, right? So when you open up the NIL, create a setup where you can say, okay, if it's your first year at a program, the school cannot, cannot match anything that you make off of your NIL stuff. If you're a sophomore... The school can match up to 25% of what you make on your own in terms of like third-party revenue. Like uh, you sell an ad for $1,000 on your Instagram page or you tweet out something about some restaurant something like that on Instagram. You post a picture on on Instagram of a restaurant. They pay you $1,000 for it. The school can match 250 of that for whatever you make the whole year Mm -hmm. on your NIL stuff if it's your second year in a program. Third year, make it be 50%. If you're there as a senior, make it be 100%. So I'm like, the, the, the numbers yeah, the net, are whatever. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. here's the thing. But then if you transfer, right? So let's say you're a sophomore and you transfer for your junior year. You don't have to sit out at all. The school can't match the NIL stuff that you make in your new school because it's your first year in the program. So that's just kind of a way that you can – it does a nice little cap way right What a player is capable of making, but it creates an incentive – To state the school you're at. It's the same way as like when you like the supermax deals in the like a very different level of money, but a supermax deal in the NBA where you can get more money if you stay at the organization you're with. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but
1: you know what? But here's the thing what is stopping another coach or another third party member saying, oh, forget about what the, the matching program, we can give you double that here. We have more money, we have football money. So, so that's the thing you're still going to be getting recruiting in the layup lines and anybody's going to do what they can to cut a deal worth more. And let's also stop acting as if this hasn't already happened in college sports. I mean, it already is. It already is happening and nobody wants to admit it. And that's fine. I love college basketball. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start talking about back end deals and behind closed doors stuff, but we know that that stuff happens. And here's the other thing. In the NCAA legislation that they would like to get passed by the government It says that the school is allowed to have a person on staff or already has a compliance person that will be in charge of this that will manage these types of deals in terms of. They will monitor. They will ensure that the student athlete, the kid, 18 to 22 years old. Yes, everyone, these are kids. I don't care if they're 18 and are an adult and whatnot. No, they're young kids trying to figure out where they're going and they need this direction that the school will have someone that heads up these types of, of making sure that the kid is, you know, doing the right thing. But here's, there's a couple of things to that that concern me. Number one, let's, let's make sure that those people are always making sure that the kid is doing what's in his best interest. And number two, the NCAA lists that the schools are not going to be, handing out any dollars, Mm -hmm. at least in their proposed legislation. Now, that could get changed, but there is strict guideline that says that the school is not specifically the one who's making it happen. And Mm -hmm. that's why I get concerned about this legislation, because, Rob, you've been saying this is taking years and years to pass. You know why it's been taking years and years to pass also? When you look at the legislation and when you look at some of the language and some of the terms within it, it's legislation that really, in my mind, would be hard to pass to begin with. The kid is not allowed to wear his school logo when he m- cuts a deal with a with a company. If he puts up a um, an, an ad with a restaurant locally, he just has to wear, like, blue if he plays for Kentucky. He can't wear the Kentucky logo. College basketball, part of college basketball... What is college basketball, as you said, in an ever-changing sport, is the brand name. And you know what? That brand name travels. When Gonzaga faces UCLA, and that game is what it was, we saw the TV ratings for non-football live events. College basketball was at the top. College basketball is dying. Get the hell out of here. You go kick rocks. But I just think that, that there are too many like ifs in this legislation that make me concerned, like, what is the finished product going to look like? And I also think, finally, and I'm really interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this, is we're already seeing, without the NIL passing, the concept of being a role player for certain programs has gone totally away. St. John's is the top example of this. They Mm -hmm. have had eight players transfer, and all have transferred down. Not like down a little like down significantly and that's where I do think the NIL is going to get interesting from a transfer standpoint because if you're the fourth or fifth best player at St. John's but you could go to name that mid-major even like a higher low major that says hey our number one player on our team our top scorer we're able to negotiate, and this wouldn't be in writing, but negotiate a deal with the local car dealership and you're going to get X amount of dollars in this. And you could get your degree, get X amount of dollars and do all that. That's Mm -hmm. where I do think like being a role player in college basketball gets devalued even more by the NIL legislation, in my opinion, because it's going to be a competition between your best player and how much room is there to make money if you're the fifth or sixth best player on a team?
2: That's true. Also another question. What do you, who, if the university isn't going to be able to, you know, sure. pass the bill, then who the hell is going to, where's this money going to be coming from? Like mm-hmm. and the best and the most important thing is to keep these kids away from boosters and so on and so well, forth. It's exactly.
1: Like, who is going to come so like Exactly. So like, mm-hmm. it's like,
2: who, where's this money going to come from if, and how would you be able to monitor what money comes in? Or not coming, like doesn't come to a certain player. Like the fourth, fourth or third best player in the team, like you said, is gonna be difficult for them. But if they know uh, a certain booster and that that has tons of money and they'll match that number on on record, but how would you be able to, to monitor what they may may like having extra money being given to those players? Like, how would you know? I, I don't like, how would you monitor that?
0: I, I don't necessarily know if you would, but if you're doing it like Anywhere above board, like if, if you're able to set something like, so we just did a thing over the weekend. Adam Miller, right? He just transferred yeah. from Illinois to LSU. Yeah. Adam Miller has 133 followers on Instagram. That that's a big enough following to create some kind of influencer market, right? 133K, so right? Where he? What's that? 133K. 133K. Yeah, one hundred and thirty-three thousand followers. I was about to say, yeah. At, I was like, that's not enough. <laughs> I was like no, but if, I if you're if you're able to, if he's able to to sell ads on that, right? And if he's able to 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 do influencer stuff with those one hundred and thirty-three thousand followers that he has on Instagram, yeah. then all of a sudden, like that stuff, that that's a business, right? That there, <laughs> there's an entire exactly. influencer yeah. economy. So if he has money coming in there, you can't just like ignore the fact that this company paid you 30k to tweet nah. it or to post this thing on instagram like exactly you have to pay taxes on that yep. right so that's yeah. the way that you monitor it when you yeah. actually have this money coming in above board because that's a good point that's a good point you're operating as a professional it's not just like a like cash in a bag because you have to hide it from the ncaa if it's okay mm. in the eyes of the ncaa then you're going to do this as a business because these biz, businesses that are paying them the money don't want to get in trouble with the IRS. They don't want to get in trouble. They, like those guys don't want to go to prison, you know? So yeah, exactly. if you open this up, then all of a sudden it becomes like normal. There's no black market. You don't have you to fight. Find, you. You, find, you find ways to make sure that it, you can keep those guardrails like we were talking about up earlier. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> And look, it, are there going to be situations where players take money under the table of yeah, course, like, absolutely. True. It happens everywhere, right? Like, can't stop it. it have any of <laughs> us never not taking money under the table? You know, like I, I've worked jobs. Never, I, I was never. I didn't I? Didn't have a W nine. Right. Like I worked in construction an entire summer, didn't pay a single cent on taxes. Right. Like it, all of us do it like that. That's just kind of like what you do growing up. I do
2: not know what you're talking about, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: there you go. I
1: go. repeat.
2: I don't know they, what he's talking they, they, about.
1: You know Mr. Busta played, paid me a lot of money growing up to cut his back lawn. I, I cut my neighbor's lawn and he paid me a lot of money over one there summer and I did not claim anything on that crap.
0: Yeah. So Let me
1: tell you, I mastered a diagonal lawn cutting.
0: <laughs> I, I can't get there man like i i can do the the straight lines and i'm pretty good at it and you're like look i i, I own a house now so i take i went full dad i take way too much pride in my loan like my, my wife is like why are you out there just looking at the grass i'm like i'm trying to see if the seeds that i like you play the master i want to see if it's growing when you're looking at your grass
1: you're playing yeah. like masters music you got you're just you're near tears you know like here's the other thing though like, for that kid that has that deal, right? Yeah. Remember, remember Jordan Tucker? Is, there's one. Yes. Remember Jordan Tucker? He played at Duke, and okay. he, was at, he was at Butler for two years. And he, if you follow him on Instagram, I don't know how many. I think the guy's got, like, 500K. Now, hasn't been able to make it from a pro career standpoint. But the guy's making a career off just being a, an Instagram influencer. Like, if we took away his basketball, we, basketball's an add-on for this kid. Yeah, he's doing ads with coach and this company and this company and he's a supermodel, basically. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if you are, let's say you're a supermodel on the side, like let's say you're a men's basketball player and you've just got the looks and you can do, you know, your photo shoots with name that company.
0: So basically, if you're living the life of Deshaun Butler, more or less, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah well, exactly. Maybe some some of the uh,
1: maybe maybe like uh, so, I,
2: I
0: get your point, point, Fanta. don't let him interrupt what you're saying. <laughs>
1: right. What's our what's our trimming company again? What's
0: <laughs> company? Those that will not be mentioned—they're not paying us anymore, so we're not going to say. Their oh name.
1: well, you know what? <laughs> Fuck them. But if you did it, yes,
0: Fanta. If you did it,
1: if, if you did stuff for them, okay. If you did, let's say you did stuff for them. So my question always is, like. Do you have to get that, you know, checkmarked by the NCAA or are you allowed to do that? You know, like like that's that's where I say if the kid has his own business on the side, if NIL is allowed I hope I hope that that kid doesn't have to go through some thorough process to make sure that this gets approved by people. He's 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 going
0: to he's which going is to, a problem. I know yeah, he's going to have to, which is a problem. Yeah, and but I that's, know, that's, that's creating students.
2: jobs in a sense, though. Like you you're, you'll have a job for somebody to monitor these kids. Uh, they're freaking. Uh, yeah, they're, the, the, the problem with thing. the Honestly, problem that I have I with that
1: is it has nothing to do with him being a student athlete. Like that's the only thing that I have an issue with is that is that where this deal comes about is if I'm a student at a school and I have a business, I don't have to tell anyone at the university what I'm doing with no, that. No, it's a sure, it's sure. So that's, that's where I do kind of, cause I think a lot of these kids, if they need to find mon- monetary ways, they've got parents and uncles and aunts and people that are like, you know, those people in the circle that are always trying to figure out ways to, mm-hmm. to, to, to brand the influence. Like they're already doing it in college. I hope that they can benefit. I hope it's not too hard, but yeah. It's going to be a thorough process. And that's where the guardrails come in. And that's where you kind of say, like, how real is this going to be? And with that being said, if it is real, how how real does it have to be for Congress to pass actual legislation? Because if you're like these Congress members have looked at this stuff and and have said, yeah, why are we why are we giving in? Here on this bill, and that really creates an interesting dynamic here this summer. And remember, I've heard from multiple people, Congress is going to go on a break. Like everyone says, this summer, this is going to get passed. Yeah, Congress takes a sixty-day vacation, guys.
0: Yeah, and you you can't trust the congressman as it is. Like so, Georgia just passed an NIL bill, and it is fucking. Laughable, right? The way that they set it up is basically seventy percent, seventy five percent of the money that these players make from third party companies can get redistributed to by by the athletic department to whoever they Uh want to give it to to other student athletes, which is just like that's stupid. It's so I'm going to go on a rant. So
2: why would someone go to Georgia? So like I mean, like
0: honestly, like why would anyone want to go to Georgia? Like it's one of those. No, I get, I get that, but like it's also it's the principle of the thing, right? So. Brian Kemp is their governor, right? And he le- leans uh, a certain way politically. And the way yeah. that he leans tends to associate pretty strongly with the concept of capitalism, right? So that side of the aisle in Congress despises things like welfare or the redistribution of wealth or like finding a way to, to make sure that billionaires like Jeff Bezos can't hoard all of the money in this country. Oh, my gosh. Socialism yeah. <laughs> is a slur for those po- politicians, right? I don't think that I'm saying going too strong. They, they, nah. they hate that concept. There's a reason why they hate uh, AOC, right? And they hate the concept of socialism. But he just invented and signed in a bill that is socialism for student athletes. 75% of the money that they make off of their own name, image, and likeness can be redistributed and taken from them. That, that That's communism. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like that is, a, that that's is socialism. Core. That is the definition of socialism. And if I was, guys, if I was just a little bit more cynical, what I would say is that it seems like a lot of these situations where white men that are in power, old white men in power that hate socialism and love capitalism, find a way to make it so it doesn't work when it's young majority black athletes that are doing the they're cap- weaponize it. They're weaponizing, they're weaponizing, they're weaponizing socialism to make sure they don't get money. <laughs> yeah, they're, wepo- <laughs> they're weaponizing, they're weaponizing yeah. it, and they're making yeah. sure that the, the, the young majority black athletes that have a chance to do the capitalizing aren't able to do it and if i was more cynical i would say something about that but you know i'm not i'm not quite that level of cynic just yet i just wanted to to put that little bug in your ear so we'll uh, talk after the show we'll talk after the show, okay. we'll talk after the show. <laughs> all right so let's let's talk about actual basketball stuff we'll, we'll tell people that, yeah. that they can just jump ahead um i don't do do you guys want to get into these new rules that they're they're talking about, like this the potential for six fouls, the fact that we're not yeah. going to have quarters, like hey, I, explain I, that to
2: me, please. I was going to say, like I wanted you to explain this to me thoroughly. These new I, rules, I don't
0: I don't know if I understand it. The 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 term. So Matt Norlander of CBS Sports did a lot of reporting on this, um, and he used the term quasi quarters because apparently yep. uh, there's too much that they they college basketball is the only level of basketball where we have two halves and we don't have four quarters yeah the reason why we can't go to four quarters is because there's too much money tied up right now in TV deals that require five television timeouts per half in a sport with that that's that's amateurs that's just student athletes that's not a professional that's not a billion dollar industry right um, so we can't go to quarters so what they're gonna do is try to que- create the, the this is the term that 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 norlander used quasi quarters to be able to reset fouls at 10 minutes of every half that's just it, stupid just make it's it just quarters the dumbest thing ever just make it quarters find a way to that... like everything is negotiable it, like, everything in the advertising business is negotiable you can Absolutely. find a way to make it work stop worrying about just the money start worrying about benefiting the game it, yeah i mean geez what? like why, how come we're the only people that don't
2: use our i mean i kind of look at college basketball is like a, a farm for the, for pros. Why don't we do things to prepare our guys for what they're getting ready to go to. If they have the opportunity to go to the NBA, That's like, why are we not great. playing? Like Why are we not <laughs> doing a very 24, 24 second shot, uh, shot clocks and doing all the things that they do so we can prepare these guys. And it's just like, it, it's just little basketball stuff. It's not like this major jump. Now, I'm not saying throw in a defensive three seconds for these guys. Cause that's, that changes. I mean, I would love to have that added in college, but that would literally change a lot of what coaches do for, for what they do for their programs. Like Jim Beheim and these guys would have to find new ways to do their two threes and stuff like that. But everything else I can't, like, I don't see why they don't just incorporate all uh, of these rules from the NBA, maybe not the newer rules yeah, that hold, they're trying to implement there, but ridiculous, bro.
1: Yeah. But before you even go to the NBA, let's look within your own sport. And in the midst of all the powers that be that are screwing up women's basketball and have a lot of work to do to improve the sport, the best thing about women's basketball is that they are in a quarter format. And I'll tell you why. The quality of play has improved in women's college basketball. It has. And if you disagree with me, I would ask you, watch a Sweet 16 women's basketball game. Watch an Elite Eight women's basketball game, and you will see how the sport has benefited from quarters. Quarters helps pace of play. Yes. helps. I think quarters actually helps coaching. Having having an actual stoppage before halftime, a real one in between a quarter, there's a mentality thing there. And I thought that women's basketball, even with with, excuse me, not even, with faster games, the sport improves. It just does. And I thought that there were several times where men's and women's basketball tournament games were going on at the same time, okay? And I thought that the women's games were people were might be talking a little bit more about the men's games. But, Rob, there were times when we were watching women's games, too. And I think I remember you tweeting one time, I forget who Connecticut – no, it was the Connecticut-Baylor game. Yeah. Connecticut-Baylor was happening during men's games. And everyone's like, there's no question what the best game of the night was. It was Connecticut-Baylor. Yeah. The style of play, the physicality of play, the pace of play. You have your living example within your own sport. The ladies play it, and it has worked extremely well. And you exactly. know what I say to all the people who say – ad space and we're used to the halves well you know what adapt your game prepare your players for the pros you want to talk about ad space all those network groups that they they've got you on put in a 20-minute post-game show or put in a floater show you can get your break times in then you can always find ways to get your advertising sold. And sure. you know what? How about the extra two minutes
2: at halftime?
0: One
1: more thing. <laughs> add minutes play. to halftime, it's add minutes play.
0: to the quarter breaks, add minutes to the TV timeouts at the five-minute mark. Instead and of your five minutes, 30, <laughs> make it be 3.30. <laughs> at the quarter break, make it be five minutes, right? You have all of the ad time in there. You can make this work. They just don't want to. Hey, and here's is the other thing. It's because the contracts play. say like, okay, we're going to get this ad at the under 12 timeout. But you know what? All of that shit is negotiable. And you know what else? You are supposed to be an amateur sport, but you, but you're not making no. the most sense. Like
1: yeah, the, but, that's, but, but if you play quarters, mm-hmm. guess what else happens with the pace of play? And I firmly believe this. Then instead of the Kansas Baylor big Monday game will be starting on ESPN news. And you can watch this game after the conclusion of overtime between Clemson and Duke. Like, by playing quarters, you're going to run into less, hey, we have to push this tip time back, back, back. Thanks, so thanks. If you want to talk about selling ad space, you might be able to, to have more ad space created because you're actually starting your freaking games on time that normally don't always start on time. And then we have to wait and sit around and watch some meaningless Big Ten or ACC game before maybe a, a even bigger second game in a doubleheader. So I... I I don't understand why you don't go to quarters, but if you do go to stupid quasi quarters, like let's say that they don't want to go to quarters. I am in favor of resetting files. And I actually am in favor of six files. I am so sick and tired of games getting jeopardized at the end because it's some team out because an official just calls fouls the entire night. And, and as a result, we got kids in foul trouble and the game ends up not playing out the way you'd like it to. So I, for one, I know that it didn't work when the Big East tried in the early '90s. Times are different now. The rules have changed. I'm in favor of adding a sixth foul, and I'm in favor of resetting the fouls. I'm tired of free throws, guys. Guess yeah. what? You know why I'm tired of them? The <laughs> kids <laughs> don't even make them. The kids don't even make the free throws. No,
0: you're you're right about resetting. I'm with free you. Throws. Like that. That's that should be something that's unquestionable. Yeah, but that. that's why they should do the quarters though. That's why the yeah. quarter
2: should be done. Like, it's ridiculous. The, the, like, it's the
0: big ridiculous. thing for me is the watchability of the games. Like, when you watch the women's game, the flow of it was so much better. And, and like – Because it's, it's something you're, you're, you're accustomed to. Like, this is what we've all
2: done. Like, everywhere since you grew up as a kid to up until you get to college, you play four quarters. And then you go to college and then you leave college and you play four quarters. Like, like Fanta said, the pace of the game is extremely different. Like, as a player, I couldn't – mentally – like you play your games, like no problem. You're out there, you're running, but you don't really get a full, like a full tell of how the, the flow of the game goes. Like I, as a pro it's like, all right, cool. We didn't do what we need to do the first quarter. We need to focus on knocking things out the second quarter. So we can have a better finish to the first half. Things like that don't really like the game's still going. Like the first half is still going in college. So you don't really get, it's not as a, uh, it's not as uh, something that you would, you would hear as many, as many times from a coach all right, the first 10 minutes where it is, now need, like, that's not the, the lingo for the most part in most yep. places.
0: Yep. All right, I think we're all on the same page there. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, I want to talk about the teams that have changed your opinion the most on them since the end of the season, whether it was via transfers, via coaching changes, via players coming back, via players employ, uh, improving, um, additions that they've made in the offseason. Fanta, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you start, and I think I know who you're going to say number one.
1: Wow. Uh, I'm probably going to go totally unlike what you thought I would go with, okay? I'm going down south for this one. I'm going to the SEC, and I am very (laughs) impressed with what the Musbots in Arkansas have done here thus far in the transfer season. You knew that you're going to lose Moses Moody, and then there are questions that get raised because if you look at the recruiting rankings, Arkansas is in the back half. Like well in the back half, of the SEC in terms of their incoming recruiting class. So Arkansas is in a war with a couple other schools for Chris Likes, the Miami point guard. Mm-hmm. That's a big time get for Arkansas to be able to bring him into their equation and have him run that backcourt. But they were not done there. You get a Pittsburgh transfer, an Audis Tony, who was a big time scorer, who can beat you in a lot of different ways. I've watched him play a couple of times. I've been impressed with him. And then you bring in a South Dakota transfer that the nation doesn't know as much about, but his name is Stanley Umude. And Umude had a terrific season, averaging well over 20 points per game. Some people thought maybe he would try to test the waters or go international. Like the kid's going to be a bucket wherever he ends up playing. I could see him going overseas and having a great career. But Arkansas just brought in a trio of guards that combined last year in this sport to average nearly 52 points per game. And I see what Eric Musselman's doing at Arkansas, and I love everything about it. I think that the Razorbacks, like, they made the Sweet 16 this year. was the first time in a long time that Arkansas had made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And in my opinion, they're not done. Like, I think they're going to be a program. What Texas Tech is to the Big 12 under Chris Beard. We'll see if it continues. But yeah, what Texas nice. had was to the Big 12, Arkansas will be to the SEC. It would not be surprising to me that sometime in the next three to five years, the Arkansas Razorbacks make a Final Four. That's how high I am on this program going forward. And I thought that the, the transfer additions that they've made thus far have really changed my perception of who they are going forward. I have others, but I'll start with Arkansas.
0: I like it. I like it. I'm there. The must bus, baby. Jump on Alrighty. board Day, where are you right. at where you at who you got number one on your list
2: uh not I want I want to say they're number one I'm just looking forward to seeing what they look like I think Kentucky will be interesting to watch uh next year Cal brought back yeah. both his, his, his past assistants uh I'm I'm very familiar with Orlando antigua and he is an amazing recruiter and I know that was like one of the uh, bigger I don't wanna say letdowns for Kentucky this year is their recruitment more or less just, like, the players that they brought in didn't, you know, do what they normally do as freshmen. Like, they usually find these great freshmen that come there and just do amazing. So, uh, I think Antigua and, uh, and Ron Coleman coming back is, like, super big. And um, with Kellen Grady and, and Oscar Shibwe, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm excited to see what they look big like. baby, big, big sheep, man. Can't wait to see what my young guy looks like over there in Kentucky. But uh, I think Kentucky will be very interesting. And I don't – I personally don't think that – Yes, and I personally don't think that – granted, uh, you have a bunch of these guys that entered the draft. I don't – I think they'll come come back. Yeah. I just just feel like they didn't have the greatest – there's maybe, like, one or two guys that can stick, possibly, but not, like, first round. So, like, they'll have the opportunity to come back and with a, a majority sophomore team adding those pieces and the staff pieces, I think they'll be all right. They'll be way yeah. better than they were this past year.
0: Yeah. I mean getting the shooting in there I think is going to be a big thing. We've been how long have we been saying that? That they don't yeah. have enough shooters. Kellen Gray all. Sharp shoot CJ was maybe he's the, was the say, best yeah. shooter and like one of the best shooters in the country. Yeah. Um I think it's gonna uh there, there's two things I want to see Kentucky do. The big mm-hmm. one is get uh, is it Tai Tai Washington? The, the point I, I don't know, yeah. So, I think getting him in, which seems like uh, it, the, it, that's the way that it's going to end up going. I think getting him is huge because Nolan Hickman just decommitted, so they need him. Um, and I also think it would be important to get one of Keon Brooks or Isaiah Jackson back. Uh, I th- honestly. I Kind of think Keon Brooks is more Brooks. valuable exactly having, having that kind of like playmaking combo forward presence next to your boy Big Sheep with the shooters that they're going to be able to have on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I just <clears> love, <throat> I, I love Keon Brooks. I think Isaiah Jackson is probably a lottery pick. If you're a lottery pick, I think you probably should go. To Gotta Isaiah. go, yeah, yeah. Um, Keon Brooks to me is a guy that can come back and have a great year and be like a PJ Washington kind of. Go from being like a kind of like a second round, maybe undrafted, maybe two way kind of a guy to being like a legit first round top 20. Pick. Like, I, I think he's really, really good. So, yeah, I like um, K- to Show too. Kentucky, 20. I had on my list. Um, yeah, you know who else I had on my list? Number one was a place where one of the one of the point guards that left Kentucky, Devin Askew, ended up at Texas. Yeah. Texas also brought in Timmy Allen, who averaged 17 a game last year, yes, at, at Utah. <clears throat> They also brought in Christian Bishop, who is like that perfect kind of lob catching, rib running, shot blocking, super athletic five that Chris Beard is so good at working with. And oh, by the way, they also brought in Chris Beard and a yes. killer, a killer coaching staff. They're still in the mix for a lot of guys um, on, on on the transfer market. They got Andrew Jones coming back. They got Courtney Raymond coming back. I look. Dude, I they bring Mac McClung there? there. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the rumor. I was like, get where, get where the shots? Speaking speaking of the (laughs) NIL stuff, like, Mac McClung would be a million. Oh, my my gosh.
2: Oh. Some people would just, like, clean up. And I kind of think it wouldn't matter if they were mid-high level, like, power five or not. Oh, no, no. That's exactly it. I feel like some people are just going to clean up with this because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's that they're purchasing you. They're trying to buy you. Yes. They're just selling
0: yes. you. So, I mean, Tristan, well, you know what, if, if Tristan Jass can make like millions of dollars a year doing basketball videos, like natural <laughs> Mac McClung, cause What's he's that? actually good. He just is that cool curly hair. And
2: jo- Jordan McCabe and his, his stuff that he does. Jordan, like, that's what I'm yeah. saying.
0: The guys like, like that
2: do a really good job outside of the game for the most part, outside of their team and college team, even they're doing a good job, they'll do great. Yep.
1: Well, you All know right. what to your point, college basketball and, and a lot of people would, would roll their eyes, but I, I really think this this is where Rob's original point on this pod is really important to remember. Like the the G League Ignite, the overtime league, this league, mm-hmm. that league, these new projects are missing one thing. The brand that comes with college basketball. College basketball,
2: yeah, that's true. The
1: television, the television exposures that come with college basketball. And so that's where, not college basketball, the sport, but what college basketball has created over time. The establishment still ends up ruling. And if a kid can make money off that and see his brand rise, where maybe he's not always making money off that brand, but that he's going to once he goes pro, that's where the McCabe and the McClung, like, When a random sports fan watches McClung, they might think of Mac McClung, the overtime influencer, Mac McClung this, or Jordan McKay this. But what they – what maybe gets lost in the equation is the reason why you're watching them in the first place is because college basketball is on television. Mm. Yes.
0: Yes. And it's also – this is going to be the time for most of these guys that they are the most – most brandable, so to speak, that they have the biggest influence on on people, so to speak. Like if you are, uh, let's just go West Virginia, Miles McBride, right? Um, right now, there are probably a lot of West Virginia fans that will want to buy something because it's endorsed by Miles McBride. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If he ends up leaving in two or three years right down the road and he's on a bench somewhere for an NBA team, maybe he's playing overseas, wherever he is, is he going to have that same kind of impact? probably not so exactly. um, that's that's kind of where i think it comes in is like yes look they're they students and there there's complications that are going to they're inevitably going to arise from having people in this situation having access to that kind of money but it's also the time in their life when they are the most uh brandable most recognizable and and it's going to be the peak of their popularity and not allowing to, them to to um tap into that uh is not fair give me another team that you're uh oh, you're gosh. into
2: I'm worried about frigging overbranding. You know those things, those advertisements you see on Instagram, where you're like scrolling up and you just see, like, you just keep seeing. I, I'm worried that that's going to be like super big when these guys are able to like take endorsement money and you just constantly see people selling you things. That's yeah. gonna, that's gonna be interesting.
0: Yeah. When you just see, uh, um, you know, 37 straight men like, <laughs> exactly. $30 like, basketball players. Like, yeah, it's just so, like, so, like, okay, Congratulations. Give me another team that you, uh, you're, you're all in on after, um, after the off season.
1: Well, all in, all in. I mean, there's a difference between being totally, totally all in, or I'm intrigued. Okay. Um, I'll go with intrigued. Uh, I'm not going to go totally all in. But the team that, that I'm most fascinated by, actually, in the Big East. This might surprise some people.
2: Might be the same damn team.
1: <laughs> but it, <laughs> it, is, Marquette. it is Marquette. It is Marquette. Yes, it is Marquette. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, not necessarily just, just via transfers. I mean, they've, they've brought in Olivier Maxens Prosper from Clemson, who was a former four-star kid. They've brought in a couple other guys, but what what I see with this team is almost via transfer is Shaka Smart's been able to take a couple of kids that were going to go with him to Texas, and he's bringing them now to Marquette. You know, he's got a Marion Ellis coming in, uh, a four-star kid. He's got a three-star kid named Cameron Jones that signed, and Marquette was already bringing Stevie Mitchell, the four-star point guard, and by many accounts, it sounds like he's still going to be part of this equation. So for me, I think that Marquette, like everyone, um, if, if you've been a college basketball fan for a long time, you know that 10 years ago when you thought about the NCAA tournament and teams that were probably just going to find a way to make it, Marquette basketball was one of those teams. They were one of those teams. They actually got the benefit of the doubt at times. As opposed to the last seven or eight years, they've, they've been the team that falls flat on their face, can't make a tournament run. Can't do much at all. The Steve Wojciechowski experiment did not work out. People do not realize Marquette is a top 10 spender in college basketball, like Mm -hmm. nationally. They spend a crap ton of money. They spend more money than any program in the Big East Conference. Like they put money, they just turn out money in Milwaukee to try to win. And guess what, guys? They haven't been pulling their weight. Now they have a coach who understands I'm not saying Shaka Smart's a world beater, but he understands what it takes to make the NCAA tournament. And I think Shaka Smart, his best fit, in my opinion, is a mix between VCU and Texas. He, Marquette's going to be, I think, the right fit for this guy. He's from Wisconsin. He gets to go home. He can recruit kids over there. There's never been a question of recruiting. And I think the Big East kind of has an open door. After number one next year, Villanova's number one, if I asked both of you who you think the second-best team in the Big East is heading into next season, I think you would both have different answers because guess what, guys? All three of us would. The Big East has a ton of uncertainty. In a world of uncertainty, I kind of like a first-year coach coming in and maybe the other coach is not knowing a total scout on him. I'm I'm a little bit bullish on Marquette to be able to be a top-six team in the Big East and hang around – Hang around next season in Shaka Smart's first year. I think Marquette can win. They have the assets to win. They didn't have the coach to do it.
0: I, I like them long term with Shaka. Uh, I think your point about them being that, that being a better fit than Texas. I mean, look, Shaka is not a great offensive mind. What he is is very, very good at developing a culture and very good at taking that culture and turning it into something that produces on the defensive end of the floor. The problem with Texas. You have to go out and get the five stars. You have to get the best players in that state. Um, and those guys aren't going to be in school for very long, whether it's like a Jarrett Allen. Uh, I know Mo is not from Texas, but a player like that. Um, mm-hmm. A Greg Brown. And it's very difficult to play the way that Shaka plays his best when you don't have those guys that are getting up to 21, 22, 23 years old. I think when Shaka was at Texas, He built a lot of teams. I think Shaka, to succeed, needs to be able to build a program and build a culture, and I think he's going to have the chance to do that uh, at Marquette Day. So the next one that I have on my list, uh, this might be cheating a little bit, uh, but I am going with UCLA, assuming that Johnny Juzang is coming back. After seeing the run that they made and seeing how well that they played and seeing how well they bought into the ideals of – uh, what Mick Cronin wants to do. I've, I've pivoted. I, I, I didn't think that that was going to be a very good fit. I didn't know how it was going to work for him um, in, in Westwood. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I I I think they're going to be really, really good for the long term. I think UCLA basketball is back. And the idea of next year, if we can get Chris Smith, Johnny Juzang, and Jaime Hawkes as the 2-3-4 on a team, coached by Mick Cronin, oh boy, watch out. That team's going to be good.
2: Yeah, bro. I, I love the way Mick Kerner team team, uh, his team played toward the end of the season, and they were like so exciting to watch. And I, I'm i one of those people that hates to watch ISO basketball. I enjoyed every bit of it <laughs> watching Johnny Zang play. Like it was, uh, it made the uh, end of the season uh, a ton of fun to watch. So.
0: All right. You got anyone else Day? Um I had Syracuse on
2: there from the biggie. Uh, excuse me, not the biggest ACC. Excuse me. Um Man, Buddy Buckets was amazing. Um, and they just brought in Cole Swider from uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> They just brought in Cole Swider, so I mean, to me, I think that they'll be one of the most interesting teams to watch. You'll have them, you'll have Samir Torrance, you'll have Joe Girard. Like they'll, they'll have a, a good bit of their guys back. They, who did they lose again this year? They just lost somebody. Uh, Quincy Ferrier
0: um, is transferring, and Allen yeah. Griffin is going pro.
2: Yeah, there we go. So, I think Cole Swider would be. I mean, he was helpful for, for Villanova for sure. I think he'll have a, a bigger role with Syracuse to to showcase his time. I don't know if he'll. Well, they, be need, the they man, need him to catch the ball. Yep, exactly. They yeah, need that they, spacing in the court. Yeah, but we got a chance to see what the majority of our offense will be, <laughs> which was which what it, what it was that last year with Buddy Buckets just putting up shots and just having him come back this year, everybody knowing who he is, knowing what to expect. And he'll have a small target on his back, I feel like. But when you have to play against a player that just ha- that can shoot the ball as well as he does, it's almost like, you know, he can have a target on his back, but it you have more of a, a worry as a defender when you have somebody that can uh, just shoot the ball is, from as far as he can.
1: Is Dolizai back? For Syracuse, do we know what's going on with him?
0: I don't. I am not 100 percent sure on on. I don't know if he's. He, I don't think he's made anything official. Yet. Nah,
2: what I was gonna say nothing's official yet.
0: Okay, uh, because
1: obviously, you know, he's a he's he was he was great for Syracuse in that win over West Virginia. Yep. he was just terrific moving the ball. You know who's another oh, team? Day. Entire day. team. Don't
2: worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm still <laughs> right. recovering. I shouldn't even make hey. them to It is accurate. But
1: <laughs> in the world of hate, down in the D.M.V. Mark Turgeon I am here to to provide some light um I mean come on folks like Maryland has picked up Fats Russell who is a beast of a player like he is I cannot wait to watch Fats Russell in the Big Ten I think he's he's a killer and against fellow Big Ten guards I think he's going to be a must watch type of player and by the way Big Ten ACC figure out a way to give us a really good Maryland Duke Maryland Carolina type of game early you in the season next year. You don't want to
0: see Maryland Georgetown after the after Georgetown stole Kudus Wahab. Mm-hmm. Nah, nah. We need we Gav- need that Maryland. That Maryland Duke vibe would be awesome. Especially in the Gav- with Wahab. In, down there.
1: Maybe in our bit in the Big Ten Big East, but I'll tell you what, that's the other one. Kudus Wahab is a man possessed. And I'm not just saying that. I think this kid could be a pro. Um you he know is, he for, sure, for sure, for sure. He, he's an elite finisher, he quite literally dominated the Big East tournament and then he transfers to Maryland. Brutal. Um, and then said, and I got to call my man out here. Okay. He was asked why he transferred to Maryland and he talked about educational reasons. Kudus, or as I know him, Q, you were at Georgetown university.
2: Yeah. Like what Do are you I talking about?
1: Do I need to say anymore? Look, I get it. I hate that he's transferring away from Patrick Ewing. Cause I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you're a Georgetown fan, I'd be puzzled because it's like, what? We just won a Big East championship. Like, we've got um, the pieces here. Dante Harris at point guard, that kid's not going anywhere. But you know what? He does bring in a couple of bigs. Not that that was going to take away from Mohab's time, but it would have created more com- uh, you know, more competition. I think for Georgetown going forward, like, what happens after Kudus Well, they've got Ryan Mutumbo coming. It's going to be fun to see Pat Ewing, Coach to Kenbe's son. But yeah. for the long term, like that's tough on Georgetown. Maryland got a lot better. Kudus Wahab and Fats Russell are two of the top fifteen transfers in my mind, and Maryland got both of them.
2: Yeah, I thought WE was going to get uh, Wahab. I was, he was in the we were we were in the mix. I thought we had him, but yeah, I kind of feel like transfers like that. There are going to be more transfers like that than what Rob and me were talking about earlier with like players just like not vibing with their team or a player being upset at a coach. I feel like there'll be more transfers because people don't want to compete with other players and they want to leave like that. That sucks. That sucks. Like to hear an answer. Like the reason I'm going to Maryland is because of school reasons. When you're at Georgetown, it's just like, come on, what are we talking about? And you hear all these bigs coming in. It's just like, all right, either you don't want to compete or, like, I don't, I don't, I can't even find another answer. Like, is Patrick Ewing just that terrible to be around? I don't, I kind of, I don't believe that. <laughs> He's a big man's coach. Like, I feel like guys like Patrick Ewing and like Jawan Howard will be, if you're a big, it'll be the perfect person to play for. And you just came off of Biggie's champion. It's like, it's confusing, but I, I feel like you'll have more, you have more of those kind of transfers where you don't, you have guys that don't want to
0: compete for their spot. They just want to walk in and <laughs> like, just have a spot. Yeah, so the along those same kind of lines, the last one that I had written down was um, was Auburn uh, with some of the players that they're bringing in. Um, now, the big thing for me, like the big name, is probably going to be Walker Kessler, right? But they also got the uh, the um, Jabari Smith kid coming in. Uh, J T. Thor has declared for the draft. Uh, I don't think that he is. I, I would expect to see him back. I think. Um, and the big one for me is going to be Alan Flanagan, who I think has a chance to be SEC Player of the Year if he does end up coming back. And then they got a whole bunch of little guards that are committed. And, and look, the key for them—they got the wings, they got the athletes, they got the shooters, they got the size inside. They have a lot of pieces that can make them be a really, really good team. Uh, where they really excelled last year was when Sharif Cooper showed up, and they all of a sudden had a playmaker that could get these uh, these finishers to be able to get the open looks that they had. Now, losing Justin Powell hurts. Um, hmm. I think Cooper, I mean, look, he was a great passer day. We talked about this a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't a great shooter and he was not very good defensively and it kind of created limitations for Auburn long-term. But yeah, if some of these guys that are coming, like they just got a commitment from, um, Desi Sills from, uh, from Arkansas, um, okay. and then they have a couple of mid-major so guys tough. coming in that are, that are pretty good. Um, so if those guys can can step in and can be kind of creators and facilitators and uh, initiate offense at the league guard spot, then I think that they have a chance to be really, really, really good uh, next season. If there's one thing that we know Bruce Pearl can do, he can slap a bunch of players together and find a way to make it all work because that's kind of what he's done his entire career.
2: I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Walker Kessler looks like uh, during the season, mm-hmm. for sure. Set seven foot, like 250, that's a big dude. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to see how that works out for Auburn for sure.
0: Yep. Nothing.
2: Right. man.
1: Well, I'm, look. I'm, I'm ready to start the weekend.
2: Exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> yep. All right. So here's what, here's, here's your home where people that are listening to this, we need a new name for this podcast. It can't just be the Dawson and Deshaun podcast. Yeah, we now we have the legend John Fanta on the show with us. So we're going to come up with a new name. Uh, but for now, thank you for tuning in. Uh, And we hope you guys have enjoyed the the start of the offseason. And, you know, here's to a, a great start to a great summer.